the year 2020 has been quite the adventure, has it not? We've shut down the economy. We've sequestered in our homes. We've had unbelievable unrest in our, in our nation over things we should and need to address. But here we are today looking at the probably the most famous psalm as we look into the heart of God. Back in, in, when we were planning this year, we called it the year of vision. And, and as I thought about teaching through the psalms in the summer, I thought about we need to see the heart of God. There's probably not a psalm that teaches clearer, more, with more clarity than Psalm 23. It's probably the most famous psalm found in Scripture. You'll find it inscribed in, in a lot of different places. You'll see it on T-shirts with eagles soaring or sheep drinking or cats clinging. And I had to get to the cat illustration because that's a perfect illustration, and it would be a catastrophe had I not mentioned that, and I wanted to be able for you to not go catatonic. Okay, that's enough. We'll, we'll catnip that in the bud. Anyway, these are, sorry, these, this psalm is amazing, and we memorize it. We quoted it. In fact, I remember being in Germany, standing at the Wittenberg door where Luther nailed his edicts, and they said, Pastor Scott, will you lead us in quoting the 23rd psalm? And completely went blank. Like, okay, which is really not my nature. And then, then they said, let's sing a mighty fortress is our God and completely went blank again. I guess I just wouldn't have a good day in Germany. Not the only person to have a bad day in Germany. But anyway, one of those Psalms we memorize. Why do we think this Psalm captures the heart of God like it does? Well, Psalm 23, like John 3, 16, for God so loved the world and gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You know, John 3, 16. Those give a glimpse into the love and the character and the provision of God probably um, more clearly than any other scriptures in, in the Bible. It would call, as Billy Graham calls John 3.16, the gospel in the nutshell, and we could call Psalm 23 the character and provision of God in a short poetic nutshell. But before we get to that, I want to ask some questions for you, and I have a few questions to ask, and of course I'm going to answer the questions. So let's look at this. Why did David use the word picture of God being a shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or one translation says, I I don't have any needs. God is the abundant provider of all my needs. Why would David use that word picture of God being a shepherd? Well, throughout the history of Israel, they considered themselves the flock of God. The flock of God. Now we could talk about the nature of sheep, how sheep need a leader. Because sheep are basically, well, if one wanders into the water, they'll all go to the water and they all drown because none of them swim. One walks off a cliff, they'll all walk on the cliff because they follow each other. Sheep need a leader. David was a shepherd. So understanding that they considered the nation of Israel the flock of God, and they understand that David was a shepherd who cared for sheep, he said, you know what, I need someone to care for me as I care for these sheep. Now, David as a shepherd, that may be in a bad job, but it prepared him to do... Sorry, it prepared him to do a great thing, to become a shepherd king. Now, why would God use a shepherd to be a king? Would he kind of like find somebody with a political science degree from the University of Texas or Texas A&M? I know, whoop, horns, whatever, or gagum, whatever. But shouldn't he found somebody more qualified than a shepherd? But God was looking for a man after his heart. And if God's a shepherd to his people, Israel, and a shepherd to us, wouldn't it be natural for God to look for someone who's used to caring for others and leading others, even though it's just sheep? So God chose this intentionally because he didn't want a man 
who was validated by his education or his experience, but a man who was validated by his character and the content of his heart. So God chose David to be the king. And then when David started writing, the Lord is my shepherd, all the nation responded, go, yeah, we need a leader. We need a God who provides for us what we cannot provide for ourselves. We need a God who will lead me in the path of righteousness. We need a God who stands in the gap for us when we walk through death's dark valley. We need a shepherd. Now, in the New Testament, shepherds had kind of lost their zeal. What had happened? How did shepherds fall out of favor with the religious leaders? Because at the time of Jesus, shepherds were considered outcast, vagabonds, homeless, no good, worthless. They were not allowed to go to the temple, I guess because they smelled bad. They were, sorry, they, they weren't allowed to testify in court. They were considered uh, worthless thieves and vagabonds, and it goes on and on about the diminishing of shepherds. Why would, what happened? How did shepherds fall out of favor? Because this is what happened. Listen to me. The religious leaders of that day had trumped relationship with rules. They'd become more concentrated on law-keeping and rule-keeping than a heart that follows God as he leads us. They were more concerned about external than internal. In fact, Jesus challenged him. He said, you are like a whitewashed tomb. You're clean on the outside, but you're full of dead man's bones on the inside. You're like an unwashed cup, clean on the outside, but filthy on the inside. And so they turned because they turned away from relationships to religion. And here's the last question I want to ask you. Do you really need a shepherd of your life? Huh. And now, I have, so, I have a wonderful relationship with about a two-and-a-half-year-old little girl. Her name is Lily, and she's my granddaughter, and I love, love, love that child. But you know what, Dad Gum? She can be strong-willed. She could say, I can do it. It's mine. I can do it. I had to remind her the other day, we were down in New Braunfels, and I had to remind her, don't drink the water that's in the ditch, baby, because that water is not good for you. And she says, Papa, I want a drink. I said, well, we'll get you some clean water, not the dirty sewer water that the grackle is in right upstream. She didn't know any better. Now, I'm a grown man. And I know better than to drink the water out of a ditch. But there's so many things in my life that I'm like a strong-willed two-and-a-half-year-old who doesn't know better. But I have a shepherd. I have someone who's walking with me and loving me. So we're going to take a look at this psalm and see what God is proposing for our lives if we allow him to be our shepherd. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you are faithful and good. And I pray, Father, as I share these truths from your word, it'll not be my words, but your words, and you'll guide us to understand exactly what you want to do in and for and through us. May we not be like two-and-a-half-year-olds, but may we be like grown folk who listen and respond and yield and find life and peace in you. So I thank you for what you're going to say. And I pray this in your son's strong name. Amen. Amen. Now I want to remind you of the online resources that we provided for you. You have the Summertime Psalm. If you're not getting emails from us about the Summertime Psalm that we're sending out twice a week, 
Just send us your email address and we'll sign you up for our emails that come out three times a week so you can get content three times a week from from this ministry here. So take advantage of that. Also, your bulletins online and some teaching notes as well are all online for you to use. But I want to give you some thoughts about Psalm 23. I want to encourage you with some great truth from Psalm 23. Now, here's the first thing I want to talk to you about. When the Lord is the shepherd of my life, he guides and provides. God guides me and it provides for him. Let me read for you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That means I don't have any needs. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Remember talking about sheep getting the water, they'll drown. If the water's not still, the, the sheep are in trouble. He restores my soul. I, I love that word picture. We'll talk more about that in a second. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Now, why in the world would he say for his namesake? Is God so arrogant that he wants us to live right so people can see Jesus in us? He's not arrogant. He knows what's best for us. And he does this for his namesake that our life may so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Oh, so let's look at this and break it down. First of all, God meets our needs. The Hebrew name for God who meets our needs is Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh means God is the need meter. Now, in the book of Philippians, Paul says this, and my God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God shall supply some of your needs. God will often supply your needs. God may in his capricious nature sometimes come to your aid and meet your need. No, it's not what it says. My God shall supply all of your needs, every need, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God has unlimited resources, and through Christ he delivered them to us in salvation and provision. He is Jehovah Jireh. He's the God who meets our needs. I love these Hebrew names because they're so descriptive. But also God does this. When he's the shepherd of our life, he provides peace and rest for us. And the, the Hebrew name for God in the peace and rest is Jehovah Shalom, that God is the one who brings peace. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about the word Shalom, and Shalom means a perfect state of peacefulness without conflict and without need that God provides for us his shalom. When's the last time you were perfectly at peace? You need a shepherd who provides peace and rest for you. He leads me into green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He does these things for me because he's Jehovah Shalom. Listen to what King David said. For David said this, the Lord, the God of Israel, has given rest to his people. I remember back a million years ago when I was a student pastor. In fact, some of you may be listening that I was your student pastor back, you know, a bazillion years ago. That when we went on camps, I would always room in the bunk room with the guys. Now, it's probably something I, you know, you get sleep. But I had a method to my madness. And I knew those boys, they'd get away at camp and they'd just want to talk and talk and talk and talk and not sleep. And then they'd do things that boys do that are just inappropriate. We're not going to talk about that. But they would do those things that, you know, I was a grown man. I wasn't a kid, and I really, I wanted to go to sleep. So this is what I started doing. I started praying for the boys around the room by name. 
Now, I did this for a couple of reasons. One, I wanted to bless them. I wanted them to know that I, as their pastor, love them. But second thing I wanted to do, I wanted to pray them to sleep. Now, some of y'all, I do that with preaching. I preach you to sleep. But I would pray those boys into sleep. In fact, a pastor friend of mine, he's a pastor in Jacksonville, Danny Adams, he said, Scott, I remember you doing that, and I would fight going to sleep until you prayed for me, and then I could go off to sleep. Had I known that, I'd waited to pray for Danny last because he probably needed it the most. But it's that prayer process that this is what God does. He gives us his peace. And then he says, God says, I'm going to restore your soul. Restore your soul. Why does my my soul need restoring? Because you're weary. You're heavy laden. Jesus said, come to me and I'll give you rest. But not just rest for your weary mind and your weary heart, but your weary soul. And we, we make soul vows. We say things like, well, I'm never going to allow this to happen. I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to repeat this. And I'm never going to let anybody hurt me like this. And we carry these soul vows that cause a weary soul. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you rest for your soul. Because if you cast your cares on me, I care for you. And I want to give you rest. I want to bring you into a place of restoration of your soul. Now, here's the first thing he did with my soul. He restored it from dead to alive. You see, when I came to Christ, I came alive in him. When I gave my heart to Jesus, I had a restored soul, a revived soul. And the name for the the Hebrew name, Jehovah Rophi, the one who restores our souls, the one who restores our souls. Now, but it also says this, he makes me righteous. He makes me righteous. He leads me the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, the Hebrew word for that is Jehovah Teshkenu, Jehovah Teshkenu. It means I'm going to be the one who guides me. I'm going to be the one who's guided by God. That's what God says. I'm going to be the one who guides you. A.W. Tozer, a great theologian of the last century, he said this, a man or a woman rightly related to God cannot make a wrong decision. Now, I hear that, and it gives me hope, but then I hear that, and I realize this. How do I know that I'm rightly related to God? What is the evidence of a right relationship with God? Is it the, the amount of online gatherings I watch? Is it about the physical gatherings I attend? Is it about the times I read my Bible and pray? How do I know that I'm right with God? Let me tell you how you know you're right with God. If you've claimed Jesus Christ as Lord, you are rightly related to God. And in that right relationship with God, he causes all things to work together for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. Paul said in Romans, that's amazing that God says this, that I'm going to make you right and I'm going to cause things to work rightly in your life when I'm your shepherd. He guides me and he provides for me. Wow. But when the Lord's the shepherd of our life, he does this, this second thing. He's with me. Let me read. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. One of the greatest promises of God is his presence. Is his presence. I've gone through stuff in my life that's been painful and hard. And I go through those things in my life that are painful and hard with the assurance of the presence of God. 
that he is with me. I oftentimes don't feel his presence, but I know that he is with me because he said, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. God promises his presence when he's my shepherd. He's not gonna let me wander off. The other day, we were out with our, our, our little girls and the oldest one got out of my sight. I asked her to say, stay where Papa can see you, and she got out of my sight, and it scared me to death. And I got up and I called for her. Why? Because I'm her shepherd, I'm her Papa. And I said, where are you? And she came running to me, and she sat down by me. I said, baby, you got to stay in Papa's sight because when you get out of my sight, I get worried about you. She kind of teared up. I said, you're not in trouble, baby. Well, that's the difference between a grandfather and a, and a daddy. Because a, a daddy, I say, I'll whoop you if you don't say where I see you. But no. The tender-hearted shepherd says, stay in my sight. But here's the good thing about God. We never leave his view. You can't hide from me. You can't. He sees and he knows. He's the God, El Roi, as it says in Hebrew, the God who sees and he's the one who protects us. And the light of God's presence drives away the shadows of darkness. You see, many times adversity, the shadow of death, brings the light of God's presence into clearer focus. If there's a shadow, there has to be a light because there could be no shadow without a light shining. Now think about this. When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the shadows overwhelm me, but the light illuminates me. And I realized behind the shadow is the great light of God, that I might be going through dark times, but I have a great God who does great things and is with me. Now, the last thing I want you to see in this is this. Notice these two words, rod and staff. They comfort me. Now, I listen to this, and I think about the Proverbs says, spare the rod, spoil the child, that you know a rod is meant for a fool's back. I think about this and go, okay, is God gonna whoop me? And the answer is that, God's not going to whoop me, but he is going to discipline me. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, we shouldn't spurn or push away from the discipline of God because he's using discipline to bring us into conformity of his character. That God allows discipline to come in our hearts and our lives that we might be more dependent upon him and move in him. So the rod is that of discipline. The staff is that of direction. God disciplines us in order to direct us. His rod and his staff discipline and direction, that where our lives may matter. Why? Because God loves us and he's our shepherd. And he does it through the person of King Jesus. And when I say to him, Jesus, I'm yours, he goes, yes, you are. And now I'm going to protect you and I'm going to correct you. I'm going to guide you and I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to do these things for you. And I'm going to give you my presence even when you walk through the most difficult times of your life. I'm going to do this for you. And then he says this, when the Lord is your shepherd, he is my defender. He is my defender. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Now, I looked at this, and I, I read a lot of commentaries about this. I've read some of Lloyd-Jones' stuff on this. I've read some others, um, other commentaries, Wearsby and, and uh, MacArthur and some other commentaries about this, but I got to looking at this, and none of them said this, but I'm going to say it, that God, he protects us on three basic levels. This is what he does. He gives me food in the face of my adversities. 
In other words, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. When I am overwhelmed with complexity and overwhelmed with complication and overwhelmed with adversity, God says, I got you and I'm going to provide for you. I talked to a guy this morning who was struggling with the job and talked to him about that and how God had provided an answer for him in provision before he even knew it, before he'd even asked. God had already taken care of him. We pray, give us this day our daily bread when the kitchen of Jesus is open the night before, baking your bread for today. He is the one who takes care of us, eating in peace while surrounded by adversity. In this world, you will have trouble, but fear not, Jesus said, for I've overcome the world. And I will give you a banquet of provision in the face of adversity. And then he says, I'm going to anoint your head with oil. And that means two things. I'm going to accept you. And that's what the anointing of oil was. You know, it was a kind of a rough and tumble place. And people smelt not so great. And they'd come into a banquet and they smelt not so great. And the Hebrews were very clean people, washing, ceremonial, and anointing. And they were the number one exporter of beauty products in the ancient world. And the anointing of the head with oil was to cover you, to make you acceptable in community, because there's probably no one more unacceptable than someone who stinks. And this is what God does. He says, I make you acceptable by anointing you with my covering. But also anointing meant healing. Not just the practicality of being accepted, but healing to bring healing to your soul. Don't you want to be accepted by God? Don't you want to be healed by God? Then come to Jesus and make him your shepherd. Don't you want to be a people of accepting and healing? Then become a people who follow the great shepherd and then we become shepherd of other sheep like Jesus. And the church then stands against social injustice. The church is not a, a political cauldron of confusion, but the church becomes the hope of the world when we live as God is the shepherd of our lives. Wow. My cup overflows, which means abundance. There's more than I need. And that there's more than I need, there's more for me to share. And it gives me the heart of generosity that changes everything. And here's the last thing I want you to see. When the Lord is my shepherd, he pursues me and he secures me. Let me finish. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. And you look at this passage and you realize that God's goodness is running after me. It's running after me. He's pursuing me. He's not the passive God. He's the seeking God. He's the one who comes after me. And he does that that he can secure me as he pursues me. He does that so I can have a home with him now in the present and a home with him forever in the future. That's what he wants. To prepare me now for the glorious next. Why? Because he is my shepherd. So I want to ask the question of you. Who's your shepherd? Who's Jehovah Rafi for you? Who's Jehovah Jireh for you? Jehovah Shalom for you? Who is El Roi, the God who sees? Who is he for you? Who is this God whose goodness is running after, is running after me? Is it the Lord? And then celebrate the fact that he is the good shepherd. 
He's not. Why don't today you become his little lamb, his loved one, the one he accepts into his heart and his life by your confession of your faith in him? Why don't you surrender to the shepherd of your life? I can't think of a more powerful thing to close with, that you might come to the place where you raise your hand and say, Jesus, I'm yours. I want you to be the shepherd of my life. Or maybe you've done that in the past and you need to be reminded of that truth, that you have not left the gaze of God, that he has not taken his hand off you because he's still your shepherd and you're still his sheep. To yield to the voice of your shepherd and quit wandering away and come home to King Jesus. Or perhaps you're like me and you just want to be thankful. (laughs) God, I'm a dumb sheep, but you're a good shepherd. Lord, help me to be a shepherd to others so that I can live all for you. All for you.